Hello and welcome to FML Fun My Life, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. So, Henry, how are you today? How's it? Pretty week? good. It's been a it's been a bit of a long week. It's a bit. It was a big news week this week in uh, in finance and business. Uh, how how did you yes. take it? It was. I just feel like if I have to tweet one more time about Elon Musk buying Twitter, like I'm literally gonna explode. I was actually getting like so bored of it myself. I even put up as our Instagram story today being like, is anyone else fed up with this story? Yeah, he is good for kind of keeping news headlines, I suppose. But I, that's kind of, that's part of his brand. Like that's part of, that's why Tesla's stock is so high, but it, it, it does get, it does get tiresome. So, But like, why do you, like, why, why do you really think he wants to buy it? Like, I think because people make memes about him and I think he's unhappy about it. But we can we can really? talk about that. Yeah, definitely. He's not he's not great for taking criticism. But um, sure, we can talk about that later in his in his hijinks. Okay, roll the music. Okay, so you're there. Welcome to the second episode. Can't believe we're already in the second one. We're really in the midst of it now, Emery. I know there's no backing um, out. <laughs> so my name is Nicole and if you didn't catch our first episode I'm the social media manager here at my Wall Street and with me today again is my lovely co-host Amory. He might recognize from Stock Club and is one of our investment analysts. Hi Nicole thank you for having me on again. Oh I don't know I don't think are we co-hosting so no one is having anyone else on. This is a mutual. That's hosting. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I don't really have to say every time with me today as my co-host, do I? I kind of like that I'm being introduced. It makes me seem important. Yeah, yeah. No, I do. I think yeah. James does that in Stock Club. No, he does. Yeah, but yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but we'll keep it as true. it is. I'll, I'll just copy James. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. Um. So this episode about the Becky ETF, which you actually found when you were scrolling TikTok a few months ago. I remember we were kind of talking yeah. about it. So this episode is going to be about um, the Becky ETF and the importance of buying what you know. And then we're also going to discuss what stock we would pick if we were starting our portfolio again from scratch. So busy agenda. Let's get right into it. So, yeah, you came across the Becky ETF like I I remember you messaged me on Slack a while ago and was TikTok the first place you came across it. Yeah, it really was. It was a a girl who was kind of doing an investigative um, report on it. She was making an educational video about it, and she was kind of just covering what the Becky ETF was, what stocks were in it, what was included. And and her kind of point for introducing this to the broader world was she was talking about how investing could be quite easy for women because the whole point of the Becky ETF is to find stocks and companies that women love and invest in them and kind of see how it does. It was started out really as, as, a, as a hypothetical. And if we want to go back to the beginning of the Becky ETF, we actually have to go back to the Harvard Business Review in 2009, if you can believe it or not, mm-hmm. to a study called The Female Economy by Michael Silverstein and Kate Sayer. And they're economists who explored how marketing often fails to target women despite them being key to sales. And I know that kind of sounds crazy because we're used to seeing female-centered advertisement for products that are made exclusively for women. But when it comes to mm-hmm. more generic things like cars and homeware and stuff like that, it just tends to be more targeted towards men. And 
that was quite interesting because they found that women actually make the decision to purchase 94% of home furnishings, 92% of vacations, 91% of homes, 60% of automobiles, and 51% of the consumer electronics. So even though they might have limited buying power, like even though they might have a less income, because they're often in these family units, they're the ones calling the shots. They're the ones picking out what style or brand that they want. And so yeah. this led Silverstein and Sayer to identify the six key industries where women could lead spending trends in the coming decade. And someone basically said, hey, why don't we begin to invest like how women spend their money? Why aren't we looking for these companies? The one that surprised me there is 91% of homes. Yeah, 91% homes. But it does kind of make sense because if I think back to when we moved when I was a kid, Mm. it was like definitely my mom making the decision of she was kind of looking at all the key areas of the Mm. home that were going to be most important, like like the kitchen, for example. Like there are so like so many nuances to a kitchen that you need to take into consideration when buying a house, and I do think she was she was seemed to be the one calling the shots. What do you think? That's super- yeah, like all the rest makes sense. Like definitely the furniture, vacations, like a hundred percent. Um, but the home one, I thought because it's such like a massive investment, I would have thought it was yeah. closer to fifty fifty. Yeah. Well, I no. think I think women do have the final say, and then of course it's like probably. Maybe more women buying on their own now as well. There's probably that coming into play. Yeah, definitely. I think that actually the one that took me back was 60% of automobiles because we tend to mm. think of like car guys, guys who, you know, invest, who want to, you know, buy luxury cars, are really interested in certain brands. And you think that would oh, they be the ones spending the money, making the decisions, but actually 60% of automobiles. And again, I think it's our us underestimating the family unit and underestimating couples and kind of what dynamics change and what goes on behind the scenes. It's, it's, um, it very much reminds me of, they used to talk about in the 1950s, while the vast majority of women in the United States, for example, were at home and their husbands were out earning, it was often the woman who was at home, like balancing the family checkbook and figuring out where all of their money was going. So she actually did have a lot of spending power when it came down to Mm. it, even though it wasn't her money to earn. Um, So it's very interesting to see that trend kind of continue now into the 21st century and Mm. really dictate what businesses rise and fall in the United States. Mm. Yeah. And it really, it kind of drops then when it goes to electronics. That's, that's also a surprise and that's much more even. Yeah. Kind of, I suppose people tend to buy electronics for themselves. You know, like, like that's probably encompassing phones, stereos, um, televisions would probably be the only thing where there's Mm. a bit of debate. But even then, I mean, there's not that much variety in in TVs. But um, yeah, yeah. So this was kind of an idea that that someone had, and it was an and it actually was an idea that someone on Reddit had, if you'll believe it or not. So this study done by Silverstein and Sayer went on to kind of find out what women are the most important when trying to track where consumer spending is going to go. And so they broke down women into four groups, I believe it was, or actually six spending groups, sorry. Um, And this was based upon their marital status and their economic standing and and how much money they basically had to spend. And at the top of this table was a group of women called the fast trackers. And these women were economic and educational elites who could be single, married, with or without children. And they're like the lifeblood of this movement. They're the soul cycle riding, Lululemon wearing, Starbucks drinking, high earners (laughs) that keep the lights on at Erewhon which I learned is a very fancy grocery store with a smoothie bar. I learned that this week. People were talking about it on TikTok. I was like, I have no idea what this is, but it's a it's in America only, is it? Yep, only America, yeah. Mm. And so these women, for lack of a better word, um, are Becky. And some, th- some think that she is basic, <laughs> and I guess that's fair enough. But from a financial perspective, she is 
very powerful. Beckys make up 24% of the female population in the United States, yet they control 34% of female purchasing power. So they have more money than you would expect. And that means that they are very good at dictating consumer spending trends. Yeah, that all makes sense. But I really don't like the whole thing of like calling women who like popular things like basic and average I just think like you know women can't do anything now you know without saying like oh sorry I like popular brands but like they're popular for a reason because Hmm. they're usually good or like like say Lululemon like that's like I've never worn them but I've heard like really good things I do like Starbucks maybe it's because I'm a bit basic as well so (laughs) But, (laughs) but yeah but I think like even on the flip side of that like now now when girls don't like basic things they're called pick me girls so yeah you know the whole thing is like women you know we can't like they can't do anything really you're gonna get called yeah something. regardless of where you spend your money you will be grouped into a into a derogatory basic girl name mm. so yeah. yeah there's really no no winning here but do you know who is winning is is becky when it comes to financial power apparently <laughs> go becky so, go there we go um <laughs> So if we go back to these Redditors, these people who kind of read this study and and began to have some ideas, they decided to design a theoretical fund based around Becky, or at least where Becky spends her money. So they selected stocks that they thought were popular with high-earning, single, married, uh, retired women. And um, this is a hot debate. There's a lot of discussion going on. If you're interested, go to Reddit, type in Becky ETF and see what comes up. I found one kind of Reddit thread where people argued that there are 72 Becky stocks. And that's, that's, that's a lot of stocks. That's more stocks than you should probably have in a fund. But Mm -hmm. I figured, why don't we make our own Becky fund? So I went ahead and I picked 10 of the most common Becky stocks that I saw listed across various Reddit threads. And then I kind of cross-referenced them with the My Wall Street shortlist. And so we can today introduce the Becky X My Wall Street fund, which features 10 (laughs) stocks. And they are, everyone pay attention, get your pens and paper. Uh, It is Apple, (laughs) Chipotle, Etsy, Facebook, Lululemon, Netflix, Pinterest, Peloton, Shopify, and Starbucks. And so I took these 10 stocks and I created a fictional portfolio in which Becky placed $100 into each of these stocks when they first joined the My Wall Street shortlist. Um, Some of them, and I'll actually say most of them, were on the shortlist when My Wall Street launched. So this made the portfolio about seven years old. And the total Mm -hmm. return in that time for Becky and her $100 in each stock was 306% which is pretty good considering the current dislike of growth stocks. I mean, Netflix was hammered yeah. this week. And um, the S&P 500 in the same amount of time only returned about 157%. So you are doubling the market average there. Wow. That's some serious yeah. homework you did there. I did, yeah. I had to go onto <laughs> Yahoo Finance and I had to go back and put in all the stocks and then go back to the I had to cross reference it with the date they went into my Wall Street and then I had to go and Google how much the stocks were worth on that day it was a tremendous Mm -hmm. amount of work but I'm glad to see that it paid off 306 percent is uh it's nothing to laugh at that's yeah that's amazing yeah I was I was pretty impressed some big names on that list like Apple Etsy Lululemon Netflix yeah, kind of obvious names, to be honest, like nothing mm. too shocking. Like we didn't go and dig yeah. up a bunch of, you know, brands operating in a space that you might be unfamiliar with. Like this is not biotech. We did not go and find a pharmaceutical company um, that might be developing mm. some wonder drug. No, we we went and found companies that that people like. Some of them have done well. Some of them 
maybe not so well as you can see Peloton made the list. We were talking about them on the last episode. Um, <laughs> but most importantly, like some of them outperformed the market and they were able to bring the whole fund up. And so I think it's kind of an important lesson for people that investing can quite literally look like a list of places that you spend your money and a list of mm. products that you like. And um, yeah, I think it's a nice takeaway for for all of the newbie investors out there. Yeah. And that's like one of our golden rules is to invest in what you know. So this is like a perfect example of people mm -hmm. going and finding the research then you even like tailor it to the My Wall Street shortlist and shows that it does work. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's that idea of have a look at the My Wall Street shortlist and pick the names that you know and love. And that can be, that is a pretty good starting point, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Like when we were talking about companies you love and you use all the time, like I start, like the first stock that came to my head for me personally was like Olaplex. Because oh, yeah. like if you if you know me, like I never stop going on about this company. Um, <laughs> There's a remember, reason like, it's it's on the My Wall Street TikTok every other week. <laughs> it is because you know what? The first time we made content about that, like we weren't even on TikTok that long, but the mm -hmm. like our, our our post started doing really well, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool." And I remember, like, I think, like I made a TikTok basically, you know, telling people like the kind of risks of investing in a stock on its IPO day. But I like oh, yeah, I yeah. use like an Olaplex joke about like, you know, it's the same as like you could be as sad as spilling your Olaplex down the drain, which was a joke on a TikTok at the time. But yeah, and then it's just such but that just shows it's such a popular product on social mm -hmm. media. And that's how it's actually grown. I think it has like loads of its users making all this great content that actually forms part of its like marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. But when I think of like a company that I was genuinely excited to invest in because I love it so much, it was Olapex. Mm -hmm. And like it could be like I think in a few years it, it might have been considered like a perfect addition into this like Becky, you know, ETF because mm -hmm. it is kind of like what you would, you know, associate like a basic girl um, investing in. May I um, ask before we go further, what is the Olaplex product suite? Like pitch me this company, like why should I buy their shampoo? <laughs> Well, see, you've never dyed your hair, have you? No. Yeah. So it, I think it, it, <laughs> you you said that like, yeah, I I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, you're you're like you're oh natural. Um, but no, I think it is mostly for girls who like dyed their hair. So like, as you can tell, like if you're watching this podcast, um, yeah, like my, um, I'm dark haired, but I used to be blonde. So when I bleep when I bleached my hair like it just ruined my hair like so bad and that like my sister used to always rave about effects but basically it just like builds your bonds back so like it's not like a normal hair care product that basically just makes the outside look good it makes the inside like repair which will actually make your hair look better in the long term um and it is it is such a good product but and I think that's why it was like so popular when it, it went on the public market like last October mm -hmm. um went public via IPO and yeah you saw like so many of its fans on social just became so excited at the opportunity that they could finally invest in this company um I think yeah like in the first month the stock went up like 20 percent mm. um yeah and then that's when we kind of like started making videos about it and we kind of like were paying attention to it more and yeah like I I remember, remember I said like I pointed out that you know it's not like that not that wise to invest on its first day because you don't know what will happen to the stock like one of my wall streets rules is that we like to wait 
for the company to release at least two earnings reports as a public company so you can really like see the financials Mm -hmm. and yeah like now six months later since it's gone public the stock is down almost 40 (laughs) percent so yeah Yeah. you would have been right you should take my advice guys on tiktok don't you shouldn't invest it on its ipo that's i guess it's for a couple reasons i mean there tends to always be a a lot of excitement like as you were talking about there was a huge explosion Mm. on social media the day it went public and i you know for some in some ways, that was a good thing because it was all these women, a lot of which were maybe women who'd never invested in anything before, were suddenly had this interest because they were like, hey, I love mm-hmm. this product. I want to own mm-hmm. a small part of this business. So I think that was really nice to see. But then at the same time, like that excitement then translates into the stock being pushed higher than is maybe reasonable. Mm-hmm. And so we like to yeah. give those uh, six months as a kind of cooling off period to kind of allow that excitement mm-hmm. um, to fizzle out. The other thing I will say about waiting after IPOs that I think is important is oftentimes companies are IPOing for a reason. Mm. And like in most normal circumstances, a company is IPOing because they want access to additional funding to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, we're going to use this IPO opportunity to raise money to do this, to expand into another country, to build a new product line, to do more research, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes though, we will get IPOs that we like to call IPOs of opportunity, which is a company has realized that they're in a bit of a hype cycle or people are really excited about them and they want to take advantage of that moment, their kind of moment in the sun to IPO and get a bunch of extra money into the into the business. Mm-hmm. And so by waiting those six months, you kind of get to really weed out the IPOs of opportunity and figure out who's taking advantage of a time and who is a player that has really thought this through and is really ready to be a public company and take advantage of the funding that comes with it. Yeah. And I think Olaplex has been such a good example of why you should wait because oh, yeah. in those six months, like a few things have happened. The first is that it's been, you know, the subject of a massive scandal and that one of its ingredients mm. was cause, was linked to causing infertility in rats. And like, <laughs> I do, I ha- I remember reading about it because I was like, oh, like I use this every week. Like I better like check. Um, But apparently it was kind of overblown. Like they found it, like it was like a really small chance of a cause of infertility in rats. So like how much could the damage be to humans? But obviously when people hear that, it's scary you know, mm-hmm. and it is just a hair product. Like, why would you risk, you know, putting that <laughs> on your hair if you did want to have children? Like, it's, it's a yeah. serious thing. That did, yeah. like, a lot of brand damage to mm-hmm. the company. And I remember, like, Rory actually wrote, like, a, a detailed insight on Olapex stock. And he even said, like, that a risk is, you know, invest in a company that relies so much on its brand reputation because one yep. thing can just take it away. And, like, you know, this kind of has. Mm-hmm. So it's... um it's scary and another thing that has happened for Olaplex is it's a massive competitor has came around like it's I I found out on TikTok like only like a month ago it might have mm-hmm. been around for a bit longer but everyone would expect that like it's a massive company like L'Oreal but it's actually just this smaller company it's the product's called K18 and people are saying that it's like 10 times better than Olaplex it's relatively the same price as well so loads Ooh. of people are making like you know, videos saying like, yeah, I'm switching from, um, I'm switching from Olaplex to K18. And like, that's going to make everyone want to like, oh, well, like I won't buy Olaplex next time. I'll yeah. try something else. And even though I love Olaplex, I am still thinking, I probably will try that one next time yeah. and not buy Olaplex. So like, it's, yeah. it's just dangerous because, you know, the company hasn't been around that long. And yeah. And I also want to mention that Olaplex still had actually a really good second earnings report. So if you were going by just that, mm. Um, like the stock is suffering even though its recent earnings report was solid so like it brought in Mm -hmm. almost 600 million dollars in the fourth quarter 
US sales grew 131% from the year before and international sales were up almost 100% as well. So it's, it's, it's tricky. And it also shows that, you know, you just have to be Mm. careful before investing in a company and do your research. Yeah, I think it is probably also worth mentioning that the current period that we're in right now, the mar- because of the market, because of, you know, a number of socioeconomic factors that are going on, we have seen pretty much across the board any company that has IPO'd in the last year is pretty much down from the the, from the price it IPO'd at. And that just seems to be a general distaste of new businesses right now. People seem to be moving money into old tech, into um, brick and mortar retailer kind of tried and true things. People are getting a bit more conservative. Everyone's a bit nervous because of inflation mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And that's all reasonable. So I would argue that that is another factor yeah. that's impacting Olaplex's stock. But I really like that you kind of went back and were able to contrast, you know, this short-term growth, this short-term opportunity. Oh, hey, like this company is performing really well this quarter. But then the mm. factors that you proposed in maybe Olaplex isn't a great investment were much more long-term um, and it had the much further like long-term mindset, like thinking about the fragility of a brand is so important when you're trying to determine if a company is going to be around and be successful in five to 10 years. And so I think bringing that up is really worthwhile, particularly in the case of this stock, which is quite reliant on like a single product or in a single group of products. You know, it's, it's just hair care, not to disparage the good people of Olaplex, <laughs> but like it, they don't have like yeah. a... Um, they're not diversified into something else. So like, oh, if their shampoo business dried up one day, they could say, oh, it's okay. We also do body wash or lotion or cleanser or something like Mm -hmm. that. And so that, I guess, is just another risk to consider. I have a question about Olaplex, which you may or may not be able to answer, but maybe as a user you can, which Mm -hmm. is kind of from a a moat perspective or maybe a quality of product perspective. Do they Mm -hmm. have like a bunch of kind of research and development behind the hair care products that like make them better? Like, is there something like chemically mm. that it's like, oh, this is better than regular shampoo or is it mainly yeah. branding? I just like, where's the kind of line there is what I'm curious about. Yeah, no, it definitely is better than normal, like shampoo and conditioner. Cause it kind of like fills in the breakage in your hair follicles. Mm. So I think it, like they call it bond build technology, like, and their hair care products, like you wouldn't even associate them with shampoo and conditioner, even though they do have shampoo and conditioner and stuff, but um, like their main product is something else. Like, and they have like leave-in conditioner, they have oils as well. Is it? So, so hang on, do you shampoo yeah. and condition and then also use Olaplex? It's no, like I don't, I, I did I did use a shampoo and conditioner, but um, I just found the number the number three is it the hair protector that's the best, okay. and I do really yeah. like their leave-in conditioner and their oils as well. But huh. yeah, like it, it still is a really good company, and the products are great. So I wouldn't like say, oh, definitely, like you know, it's you know, if you love Olaplex, like, and you really want to invest in it, that's fine. Like, it's one to keep an eye on, I'd say, as mm-hmm. a long-term investment. And like this K eighteen one, you know, it might not be as good as you know, it happens, and it's still like the market for beauty is massive so you know yeah. two people can live at the same time and there will always be people that prefer one thing over the other and work better for your hair because every hair is different mm-hmm. so I'd say like if you really love Olaplex it's it's definitely like it's not the safe it's, it's still a bit risky play but it's not mm. you know dead in the water at all like mm-hmm. so it's would you be would you be a bit worried in terms of Olaplex as an investment versus maybe a more diversified beauty company. I very, Mm. because you asked me to, very barely looked at Estee Lauder, which is a company I think like people tend to think of like, oh, Estee Lauder just as the cosmetics brand. But Estee Lauder 
is a holding company. It owns a bunch of mm. other brands. I think it owns something like 45 or 50, like a lot of brands. Like we, we were talking about The Ordinary. That's owned by Estee Lauder. Bobby Brown is owned by Estee Lauder. Um, what is it? That the Lobo, that really expensive mm. perfume company. They produce yeah. perfumes for like a tremendous amount of um, like stylists in the United States. They own like Ralph Lauren and Calvin Klein's perfume brand and that type of thing. And so I suppose... Estee Lauder is not like a super glamorous company because it's a slow moving stock because it owns so many mm -hmm. different brands. Like even though like the ordinary is doing really well right now, it might have exponential sales growth. It's being weighed down then by like, I don't know, sluggish growth from Bobby Brown or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I guess like, do you, or would you be thinking maybe I'll balance buying Olaplex with maybe something like Estee Lauder or maybe not even something in beauty, just like a big Mm. slower moving yeah. stock just in case like I don't know I think I think yeah I think you answer my question there I would say that you know if you're really interested in beauty go for something like Estee Lauder I would be mm. more inclined to um to invest in that in that I think it's a lot safer yeah. but there's nothing wrong with you know throwing a little bit in a more riskier smaller yeah. company like Olaplex because so long as you're kind of balanced I suppose yeah. yeah. And you know, that that's the beauty of having a diversified portfolio is you can have these little riskier mm -hmm. ones. You're like, no, you know what? I do love this company. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to back it, but I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to back it and keep an eye on its like earnings reports and keep an eye on its competitors and things like that. But yeah, I would probably be, I actually don't invest in any beauty yet, but mm -hmm. um, I will be more likely to invest in Estee Lauder. Um, yeah. It's got some great, brand, great brands. The Ordinary is kind of like the Olaplex of skincare to me yeah at the minute yeah I was mm. um I was watching a thing about Estee Lauder recently because Bobby Brown she sold her skincare company to Estee Lauder 25 years ago and part mm. of that deal was she had to sign a non-compete clause and she was not allowed to make another cosmetics brand for 25 years and her contract just ended and so she is now developing a new skincare brand and she's trying to launch it um almost exclusively through TikTok through marketing and so now if you go on TikTok, you can follow little Bobby Brown and she's just like doing little makeup tutorials for her new products. And I thought that well, that's so interesting to watch, cool. you know, uh, like a one of the greats from from cosmetics kind of start again and try and rebuild a brand. Mm. And, and yeah, I think that'll be a really interesting journey to follow. Um, also, we should say that as of right now, um, neither Olaplex or Estee Lauder have made it onto the My Wall Street shortlist, but maybe they will someday. Stay tuned. Yeah. Get a My Wall Street account. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it tight. yeah nice plug nice plug thank you <laughs> so yeah talking about kind of like investment products we know and love they were mm. kind of like some of our first investments like I know Netflix yeah. was mine and then I was talking about um how that was my first stock I bought and then <laughs> recently <laughs> Netflix is is just yeah in trouble basically not in trouble but the stock's in trouble yeah it was a bad day I, people got a bit they got a bit upset. I would say some of the kind of sell-off was really triggered by they had very high expectations because of the pandemic. They added so many subscribers mm. and then they did have, they didn't have a great, they had for the first time ever negative subscriber growth. And it really meant that some people on Wall Street, they were like, that's it. It's the end of days. Like Netflix will be bankrupt by next week. They were very easy to throw it all away. I know, but this happens. And like, this is also like a great example of like, just blocking out the news sometimes. Mm. You know, like it is like it's obviously something to keep an eye on. Like if they continue to report like negative um like a subscriber loss, that's mm -hmm. that's bad. 
yeah but I, I, it hasn't changed my long-term thesis on it like I still like know they re- make really really good content mm-hmm. um but like I'll definitely it shows that you need to check it back in with your long-term investments yeah I would say it has kind of changed the maybe one of the key performance indicators because I wrote about Netflix like six months ago and my kind of main argument for loving it wasn't even necessarily the subscriber growth it was the content branch that they were building I Mm. was almost gonna say oftentimes when we talk about Disney one of the things that we say about them is the brand or the brands that they control Mm. are worth so much money and I was kind of like I think Netflix is getting to that point where like if you know something has been produced by Netflix you know it's worthwhile and they've done a really nice job bringing a diverse number of stories from all across the world from all these different creators yeah. and I really like the idea that like a business that makes money like that could be successful and so yeah I'm kind of the same like I'm like not ready to give up on Netflix I think they're a very innovative company like they quite literally invented the streaming market I know that they're moving yeah. into gaming and all these other things so I'm kind of excited to see where they go but definitely it's a slightly more risky stock than it was it's not this like big assumption of success but I still love it. I still have a soft spot for it. Mm-hmm. So then if you were to start investing all over again, would you change the first stock you bought? Maybe, yeah. So you chose you chose Netflix. I chose mm. Slack, which we talked about a bit. And it's a um, communication tool for businesses. I mm-hmm. think th- my biggest flaw with picking Slack was that it was it's a very small company. It still is. Like, it's been acquired. But um, it was very small, very early days. And because it was a small company it was a small stock it was a small cap stock which small cap stocks tend to be more volatile more risky and also like it's a real david and goliath story slack was going up against microsoft like that's no big feat and because it was very volatile in those days it did kind of ruin my confidence a bit so i think if i you know could go back in time i think i probably would have started off with something bigger and more stable just to kind of I don't know, get my sea legs, as one of my uncles would say, you know, just kind of dip your toe in a bit more, not kind of jump straight into the deep end. I think that would be um, my temptation. And so I think I would have gone either big, big tech, like maybe Apple, or Mm. I have a real soft spot for a stock called Costco, which I people make fun of me on the other podcasts so much (laughs) every every chance they get they're like let's mock Anne Marie's love a Costco which I think is unfair because they treat their employees especially when Rory loves Peloton yeah like come on (laughs) and the reason I love Costco is because they treat their employees really well their employees get comprehensive health care and a 401k and despite them working in retail their employees stay on average for like nine years which is unheard of which tells me it's a really nice place to work and when we're kind of in this really difficult labor market i think that is a nice little investment and it's it's a retailer so it's not gonna you know grow a hundred percent every year but it grows really consistently and i Mm -hmm. think that would have been a nice foundation to start my portfolio with also i've been going to costco since i was a kid so it was like a place i'm familiar with i really like it they have free food samples it's a great it's great yeah i'm kind of surprised they're not in the becky etf i know but like is becky that or is, is, a good it, point. Is, is Costco too cheap? Like, is Costco more affordable? She is. Well, yeah, it's a big box retailer. It's like whole thing mm. is you pay a membership fee and then you pay for everything at, at cost, like, which is kind of a brilliant yeah. little business model. But I don't know. You do see some Escalades parked outside Costco's. I think Costco is for everyone, to be honest. Nice. Nice quote. Yeah. Sorry. Apple, I think, would have been mine. Um, yeah. I think it's just like compared to Netflix, it's more, it's got more 
diversified like you know it's not just hardware like laptops and iphones anymore it's like streaming it's the apple car is coming out soon so i think Mm -hmm. it's a lot more stable but obviously Mm -hmm. my first probably investment should have been an s&p 500 like yeah (laughs) we did have this conversation that it Mm -hmm. was it's maybe because it's people tend to forget i think you first day out the gate getting into investing you're excited but i think kind of getting in the habit of just putting a bit of money into the s&p 500 is good i would 100 Mm -hmm. agree yeah, it's just not as exciting. You're like, woo, no. first stock. Where am I going to put money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's such a solid choice because at the end of the day, like that is everyone's safe harbor. Just put mm-hmm. money in the entire market. There you go. Yeah. But also in the middle of stocks, you know. Yeah. Like if you're in your 20s. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now it's time for our regular segments. So Mm. this week's bet you didn't know is that there's actually a male version of the Becky ETF um, called the Chad ETF. I found this actually the TikTok you sent me um, at the end. And she kind of like, it's funny because at the end she says like, um, but Becky's better because women are, you know, have more (laughs) of a spending like you mentioned. But Mm. I just thought it was funny that there's like a Chad ETF like on social. By the way, it's not a legit ETF. And it has companies like um, Ralph Lauren, Nike. Girl Boss of the Week. Finally, we come to our Girl Boss of the Week, which this week, who is it, Amory? There's only one option. There can only be one. And that is, of course, the techno king of Tesla, Elon Musk. Elon Musk has to be the Girl Boss of the Week because there is nothing more Girl Boss than promising to protect freedom by holding a corporation hostage. (laughs) So if you didn't know, last week, Elon purchased 10% of Twitter and then announced his plans to join the board of the company. This fell apart pretty quickly for a couple of reasons. One being he didn't properly disclose his position to the FEC. That is illegal. That's not great. And then another being some mild resistance to Elon's ideas from Twitter's existing board. Then in a move that can only really be described as Farouk assault, like Elon decided that he was going to buy all of Twitter for $54.20 a share to help reestablish free speech on the platform. He subsequently made a formal offer to the company, and so far Twitter's board is resisting it and has enacted a poison pill policy, which will prevent any one shareholder from controlling more than 15% of the company. If you want more on the specifics of that, Rory, our analyst, you just wrote about that in the My Wall Street app. Go ahead and take a look. Um, and it's just a bit of a ridiculous situation, especially when we go back yes. and take a look at Elon's track record around free speech. He uh, he re- he. <laughs> He recently said that the way to know if you have true free speech is if someone you don't like can say something you don't like. But even Elon fails this mark. He had uh, recently fired a Tesla employee who posted a video to YouTube that showed the Tesla Model 3 running into a traffic pylon when using um, their their driverless their driverless software. And the software already existed on about 100,000 vehicles. So this employee was doing his due diligence and telling the world. But Elon didn't like that. So it doesn't suit him. Yeah. So he laid him (laughs) off. But uh, you know what they say. If you don't like the conversation, buy the entire platform. (laughs) That's a good quote. There you go. Yeah. So our girl boss of the week this week, it's got to be Elon. Elon Musk. So that's a wrap. Thank you all so much for listening and tune back in in two weeks time when we're going to be talking about the weird and wonderful world of NFTs. And we would also love if you gave us a follow on socials. You can find us on Instagram at 
sorry, at at Fun My Life Podcast on Twitter at My Wall Street HQ and on TikTok at My Wall Street. It's way too many apps there. <laughs> My bad. And finally, if you're ready to start your investing journey and are looking for resources, check out My Wall Street's Getting Started podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts or download the My Wall Street Learn app. Both are linked below. If you want access to our list of handpicked stocks, um, by our analysts and lots of other interesting finance and business content, download the My Wall Street app and create a free account today. Thanks. See you next time. 